Fans, I've heard it said that the three most powerful words that a human can say to another human are, I was wrong. And during episode 125, I was wrong not to mention episode 25's Matt Park. During that episode, we talked about our anniversary episodes of 25, 50, 75, 100, and then 125. And we failed to, not we, I forgot to mention Matt Park at episode 25. So Coach Park, shout out to you. My apologies. You know we love you. We appreciate all the support that you've given us during this show. The feedback, the listens, the recommendations. You have been awesome. You have been an awesome guest to have as episode number 25. And before we get to episode 128, a couple of reminders about teachhoops.com slash 816 basketball for incredible coaching content from the great Steve Collins. Again, teachhoops.com slash 816 basketball. And if you haven't done it already, what are you waiting on? Check out the Competitive Mindset Podcast with Billy Kegler wherever you get your podcast and check him out on social media at Competitive Pod. Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio. Thank you, Brian. Pleasure to be here as always on the Greatest Games Podcast. A chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest games. As always, it can be their time as a head coach, an assistant coach, a you know, high school coach, a college coach, or maybe even someone who's not a coach. That's right, Chris de Blasio. You know, we, we talk about making history a lot on this podcast. It is the little podcast that could. Uh, and we love to talk to basketball coaches that are around the game. Maybe they're former managers, maybe they're staff members. But today we have a former sports information director for South Carolina baseball. And now, well, we'll learn about more about what he's doing now. But welcome to the Greatest Games podcast, Andrew Kittick. Uh, it's it's good to be with you guys, Chris, Brian. Uh, great, great, great to have a chance to to talk today and uh, share some stories. Brian, we say we're always making history. I think this is our first newly engaged guest in 120 something episodes. To be honest, yeah, episode 128. This is uh, absolutely history to have a freshly engaged young man and Andrew Kittick on the podcast. Was well, uh, such an honor. Congratulations uh, to you again, Andrew. That's big. That's well, big I appreciate time. that. It's been uh, it's been a good uh, 24 hours or so since I uh, I popped the question and uh, yeah, just starting to break the news to to family and friends. So uh, you know, but onward and forward as we, uh, we get ready for the future here. But uh, very excited yes. and blessed. To, there to you go. Uh, so Andrew, my coverage. <laughs> Andrew, take us a little bit through your your career in uh, working in athletics, and it was started as a uh, as a student there at the University of Illinois and just kind of how you got to where you are now working for the Evans Scholar Foundation. Definitely. Well, it's like you said, I, I, I had a passion growing up as a, as a child here in the, in the suburbs of Chicago, uh, a town called St. Charles, where I, you know, I had a, a father who was very passionate about athletics and uh, grew up taking me to games all the time, you know, whether it was Bears, Blackhawks, Cubs, White Sox, Bulls, you know, you name it. Uh, we found time to, to attend sporting events, and that's really kind of where I grew to love sports right away. And I, I found I really enjoyed uh, getting to behind the numbers, as they say, and really trying to focus in on stats and, you know, the stories of the um, players and coaches. So when I went to the University of Illinois, I, you know, I, I, I kind of had an idea that, like, maybe I'm interested in doing maybe some broadcasting. I, you know, I think sports announcing was kind of like my first kind of 
interest, but uh, I found that I think I was more suited to kind of be working in an athletic department. So when I was a student at U of I, I got involved with their sports information department in my freshman year and uh, just started working as a student assistant. You know, I'd go in for 10 hours a week into the office and work uh, events, whether it be even football, basketball games or, you know, volleyball it was big in Illinois, wrestling, gymnastics, you name it. Uh, baseball, softball, I, I had an opportunity to, to really get involved even more. And I, I found myself quickly realizing this is something I maybe would be interested in as a future. And, uh, you know, after graduating from U of I, which was the June of 2001, or actually May of 2001, I had found an internship at the University of South Carolina, where I had a chance to meet both of you. And, uh, yeah, I paid $1,000 a month, and it was an internship, full-time internship. Um, Carrie Tharp, who was the head, uh, the assistant athletics director for sports information, called me up and said, I think you're my guy. Do you want to come down here? I said, yeah, you know what? I will. Um, involved working with baseball, swimming and diving, assisting with football, and then they added on women's soccer when I got there. So that kind of took my path down to, to University of South Carolina, where I began my career in media relations. And uh, one year turned to two, two turned to three, and before I know it, I was there for 16 years. So uh, that's a little bit of my background on how I got involved. So you, 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 you're at U of I, I can't talk. I'm so excited. He's engaged. I just, it's unbelievable. I can't talk. Uh, you're at U of I, you decide to take this internship or you go into sports information. I know we, we talked to some coaches that uh, may uh, start out as managers. They start out in some sort of support role around basketball or whatever sport uh, they, they choose. And sometimes guys and maybe me included have a hard time saying, Hey, I'm not good enough to play export at the next level. Uh, so what was that decision for you? Like, take us a little bit deeper on saying, Hey, I'm not going to be able to play, but I love to be around sports. Let me just give this a shot. I, I think it just knows that, you know, you, you know, you recognize right away, you know, talent is talent. People are going to excel are going to excel. And I'm like, this is an area that I, I believe that, you know, I feel like I can bring something to the table in this regard into athletics. This is, you know, I'm never going to be, I'm never going to be someone who's going to be a college athlete. I was fortunate to play, you know, high school sports, but I wasn't, you know, even then, you know, I was playing tennis, so I wasn't, uh, which is a great sport, but, you know, I think, I think you recognize right away. Okay. Well, how, what can I do? But I said, I still, I still understand it. I want to be around it and I'm going to do anything I can to be around it. And, and, this respect, it's like, okay, this is an opportunity. Let's take it and run with it. I mean, South Carolina, to, as an internship to be offered to get a chance to work with baseball, that wasn't happening a lot for someone that was 21, 22. Those were usually full-time people working in college baseball. So uh, I was fortunate, Mr. Price, Tom Price, who was the retired SID, was still involved in the program. So they wanted a young person working there with them that could kind of take care of the coaches. But Tom was obviously still very involved. But, you know, I was kind of, you know, you know, learning on, on the spot a little bit, uh, even being as a student, you learn certain things at U of I, but at the same time, you're, you're until you're actually running it yourself, that's like getting on a bike. So um, you have to have coaches who are patient. I was very fortunate to have coaches who were patient, you know, Shelly Smith, who's still the women's soccer coach at South Carolina. That was her first year at South Carolina when I started. So it was kind of fun that I got to start and see her program grow and she was very, uh, she was great to work with. And I, I think it helped that she was a first year coach and that having that sport in the fall kind of was able to help 
get my feet wet when I was starting to get it involved then into first swimming and then baseball, which was a big thing in South Carolina. So um, it just, it was just understanding a little bit of that and what my role is. Uh, Andrew, by the way, I think my internship with the Kentucky video department in 1999, I think I was getting, I was guaranteed 20 hours a week and I was making like seven fifty an hour. Like you think about those things nowadays, you're like, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? I was living in a $325 a month apartment or efficiency. It was a one room apartment. <laughs> no, I, you, you def- definitely sacrifice and, you know, I'm fortunate. And I think Blas, you and Rosie, you can both kind of say this a little bit, you know, we had parents that supported us trying to do this while we're not making a lot of money. Well, you know, you know, people who are in business or in engineering or going into a different field are, are making salaries um, we're, we're definitely, you know, we're doing this because we love it and we want to be around it. We want to be around a team and we're still trying to figure out what our life path is. So, uh, fortunate, I think to have that in the family, just be like, you can do this, go ahead mm-hmm. and try it. Um, you, we know maybe it'll lead to something. So I, I'm, I'm always grateful for that. Yeah, no, it's true. I, I, I was at a summer program in college out at UCLA and uh, the great actor, Michael McKeon, uh, Lenny from Lenny and Squiggy and, you know, done a million movies and stuff. And someone asked him for the best piece of advice he could give someone. And he said, if it's something you're passionate about, be willing to do it for free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And huh. while it wasn't free, I mean, it was almost free. What well, was sometimes what you're, you know, Brian started out as a manager at South Carolina your first year. Right, Brian, you were not scholarship as the train rolls like into my apartment here. You probably hear that. Um, Right, Brian, you were not on scholarship your first year or anything. You weren't getting paid, nothing. You were just that first semester wasn't I did earn it, I guess that second semester, but even when I came back to be a GA, well, earn it's uh that's I don't know if you earned it, but <laughs> right, right, right. Uh for those two years as a GA, I, I think I, I I can't remember if it was a total of of thirteen thousand dollars total for two years or something like that, but I mean, it was a dream job. I mean, and you're right about the 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 piece about parents supporting us. I mean, that was that was huge. Without saying anything, of course. Uh, the great Doctor Rosefield, yes. uh, the great former Gamecock baseball player, of course. Yes. All ACC in nineteen fifty nine, I think, something like that. Uh, was yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, Ro, um, Andrew. Yeah, you already mentioned some of them. You mentioned a guy like Kerry Tharp. You mentioned a, a guy like Tom Price. And why don't you tell us a little bit more about some of those mentors you had, maybe at Illinois and at South Carolina, and what and what they meant to you in your career? Definitely. Um, obviously, there's nowhere you can be without mentors. I try to tell anybody that's young to try to find someone that you can you can look up to and really kind of learn and really get your get your get your basics down. You know. You know, always go back to the basics. I always say that about anything, especially in any point of profession, you always have to be honing your craft in a certain way. For me, it's like writing. You know, you always have to be trying new things. Just like, what's the basics? Go back to, you know, take it back and look back at it and say, okay, what am I doing here? Um, so um, the first the first person that was really a mentor for me at U of I was a gentleman by the name of um, Mike Kuhn. Um, he's no longer at U of I in the athletics department, but, um, he, he worked in, um, he's working, I think he worked doing communications now in engineering. I, I still catch up with him, um, a little bit, but he was really, he kind of gravitated toward me when he first started at U of I, he actually wasn't there when I started, but he got there my second year, which is my sophomore year. 
And uh, he and I connected real good. He was a big Cubs fan. He uh, lived in Naperville a little bit, worked at North Central uh, College, which is a big college, you know, big small college here in Division Three, I think. Um, division two or division three. Um, and so he went to U of, he started working at U of I on the women's basketball side and he and I just connected and I, he like, he and I had the same kind of view on like stats and tidbits and things like that. So he, he gravitated toward me right away. And part of when I was at U of I, part of what they wanted to do was actually pair you as a student with one of the full-time SIDs, whether it was a grad assistant an intern or the full-time staff and you had different uh, students were would be working for that person. So he was definitely one of them to start off with. And, and I wouldn't be anywhere where it was without Mike. Mike was very involved. And he, at that time at Illinois, my junior and senior year, he was still working with women's basketball, but softball became a sport at U of I. And uh, so my junior year, I'll never forget, it was a week before spring break, March. And uh, Mike called me into his office and said, hey, do you, what are you doing for spring break? Are you going Are you going out of town? And I'm like, no, I'm actually just going to go home and just kind of relax for a week. And he's like, would you want to go down to South Carolina for softballs, open up their first game of the ever in the history of the program? They're going to, they're planning to turn a few tournaments down in South Carolina for their spring break trip. You want to go with them and write press releases and do game recaps? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I'm like, sure. And so that, you know, I, I I kind of was like, all right, I'm going to do this. So, you know, it's stuff like that. People giving you, seeing what you do and, you know, just learning from them about how to write and you know, how to do an interview with a, a student athlete or a coach and just learning some of the basics of what it is media relations is. So Mike was definitely one of my first um, role models and someone that I looked up to before I went to South Carolina. And then, you know, you mentioned uh, Mr. Tharp who's now with Darlington Raceway, but you know, he was the head SID at South Carolina for a while and him and, Mr. Price and Brian Bennett, who you guys know was the basketball SID at the time, you know, they really kind of took to me too when I started at South Carolina and really just trying to teach me the ropes of how they do things in South Carolina. Here's kind of how is here's our approach in terms of interviews with coaches or student athletes. Here's how we set up the press conference. Here's the people you're going to work with. And you really, I, I tell you what, that, that first group was really good about learning how to manage relationships um, I think that's such an important thing, especially you're going to deal with coaches as an SID, you know, and our job is promoting the, the teams and working on the teams. And so you're working with coaches, you're working with student athletes, you're working with media boosters, administration, fans, you name, I mean, you're dealing with so many different varieties. So it's how you handle that. And, you know, you know, they all really taught me, you know, here's, here's, here's some stuff you can learn here. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely grab, I grabbed onto a lot of that. Kerry had a big personality when he was running our media relations office, as you guys may know. And, uh, he, you know, he owned a room. He really did. Um, and I respected that. And I was like, have some presence. I think I learned from him a little bit about when you walk in there and you're like, you're the person that's running this press conference. You show, show them that you know what you're doing kind of thing. So I learned that from him. And then when uh, Steve Fink took over, after Kerry left um, and, you know, Mr. Hyman took over from Dr. McGee and the athletic administration, you know, Steve was really good at helping me really, really fine tune myself in terms of uh, writing and also um, uh, wet InDesign using the Adobe InDesign and doing a lot, a lot of my own layout. So I learned some tools about, okay, when we first, when I first started South Carolina, we had a publications coordinator and we had someone that was kind of laying out doing our own, our guides for us. And I think they wanted us to be like, okay, you guys can take some responsibility in doing this yourself. Um, that'll help us if you can learn how to do this. So, uh, you know, 
I learned that right away from Steve. Steve really helped me with that and understanding some stuff with writing and working um, to try to up my game in that regard and, and really put together some really nice publications and different things like that. So, um, and uh, so then I learned a lot from him too. So, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of really good people in my time in terms of athletics and media relations that taught me. And Steve Fink's daughter was a student athlete at what high school? Ridgeview High School. That's correct. That was. I think she's. Still co- I think she's coaching right now. I, I, I as a teach. She's a teacher and a coach. Coaches volleyball. I think. I think. Well, she was. She was a great volleyball coach for us at Ridgeview, and has has moved over to the Lexington side of town. But yeah, did a great job. And you talk about a couple of greats there, Steve Fink and Carrie Tharp, and. I mean, Kerry uh, Tharp now the president of the Darlington Raceway, who had just hosted the uh, formerly the Bojangles Southern 500 uh, this past weekend, always Labor Day weekend. So um, I believe it was the, the cookout Southern 500 this year. Oh, right. So, and uh, uh, by the way, Brian, right when he mentioned Kerry Tharp, and I thought Kerry then went to NASCAR and is now working with Darlington Raceway, we got an effort Kerry Tharp on the show because he'd be a great guest. I mean, uh, again, with his personality and – <laughs> his he could tell you a story i'm, I'm he's a great storyteller <laughs> great storyteller i mean uh you know and I, you know you learn I, you know he 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 goes back to tennessee oklahoma yeah for south carolina i mean he's got and now Nat, you know nascar and now darlington i mean he carrie yeah carrie i there's just a lot to learn about being in South Carolina. And he was, he was really good at making me feel comfortable and supporting me. You know, you're 22, 23 and you're working with Ray Tanner and you're working with some other people. He, he was like, this guy's a good kid. He's going to, he's going to work hard for you. And he, he, he's always, his door was always open. His door is always open. Steve Fink's door is always open. I always respected that, you know, unless those guys had to get on a call, the doors are open. I always mm-hmm. tried to do that when I was at South Carolina, once I started having an office is like, I very rarely did I ever close my door because I was like, the door's open. If anyone wants to come talk to me, they can. So, Well, Andrew, during the podcast, something comes up and, and it reminds me, and I usually ask Brian Rosefield a trivia question. Now, I'm 99% sure I know the answer to this, but Andrew, don't give the answer away. Okay. Steve Fink, who we mentioned, who came, I believe he was at TCU with Mr. Hyman. And, yep. and when, Mr., when Mr. Hyman brought over all those guys, Kevin O'Connell and, you know, all those that whole TCU crowd, Ken Hagenauer, the great Ken Hagenauer. But Steve Fink worked in media relations for a major league baseball team, Brian Rosefield. What major league baseball team did he work for? I'm, I'm going to guess the Houston Astros. Okay, not a bad guess. I believe it was the Kansas City Royals. Am I right, Andrew? It was. He was the Kansas City Royals. But I will give, I will give Rosie a credit. One of Tom Price's former students actually went on to work at the Houston Astros for a long time named Rod Matwick. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, you were in the, in, and Rob was there at Houston for a long time. So, but yeah, yeah, Fink was, uh, I think was at the Royals for a long time. So, um, and he's got some great stories too. He like, was there during the legendary Hal McRae blow yes. up, right? Yeah. yeah. He wasn't, he wasn't running it at the time. His, 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 he was like the number two guy at the time, but. I, I have heard a little bit of stories about that. You know, he's got some great stories about George Brett and yeah. you know, being around that group. Um, yeah. So he, he, there's another great storyteller for you. You, know, <laughs> you can learn some, you know, he, yeah, he was with the Royals a long time before he went to TCU to, to do their media relations and eventually get into South Carolina. So um, yeah, it's, it's fun to, it's fun to see where people's paths come from and how they get to certain places. 
I, I love to hear those guys looking out for you too. Like you say, the door's always open for you. But I think the thing that I take away from it that that all of us realized that working around college athletics in South Carolina was put your head down, do your work, and people will look out for you. Like you say, Carrie Boucher for you. Like, ah, he's a good kid. He's a good kid. And they, and we've had all had guys and, and girls that have done that for us all along the way because we work our tails off. Hey, they're good kids. They're good kids. Just, just give them a chance. Give them a chance. And yeah, and I, and I apologize for interrupting, Rosie. Uh, I, I think, you know, that that's, that's all you want to – at that time, it's like, you know, you're just happy to be a part of it. You really are. That, that, you know, I, it, I think, what, you know, and what kept me at South Carolina a lot of ways is we were having a lot of success there. And it was just fun to be around people and fun to be, you know, we're all similar ages. So I think, you know, you're working together hard with these other people that are working in different sports or, you know, but we were working together at the same time. And, you know, God, I, those were some fun days, you know, just, you know, looking back at it, you know, I learned a lot and uh, you know, you just, you remind yourself you were here for this moment or that moment. And you're like, wow, I saw some pretty amazing things. So um, I refer to it as my adult childhood. It was like <laughs> me growing up as an adult. Yeah. I was, when you're in your twenties and yeah, that's what I call it. My adult childhood. You're, you're still, you're still learning. You're still having to grow from some mistakes and you're still having to understand that you don't know everything yet. And I say that as a 42 year old that doesn't know everything. Yet. Still doesn't know anything yet. <laughs> um, but you, de you definitely have to, you gravitate toward it and people are willing to work with you. At, as long as you're not showing dishonesty, lying or doing something that is, you know, people know like, okay, he were, he's a, he's working hard. Just let's sit him down. And, you know, or, you know, so I, I think I always respect it. If there was a mistake made or something, they'll explain it to me. Like, all right, here's where we could do better. Um, and so I, I try to take that always as a reminder that learn from your, learn from everybody's gonna make a mistake, learn from it. You'll be fine. That's right. And they always gave us the, the leeway to, to make those mistakes, even mm -hmm. as young up and comers and, um, always, always appreciate that. Well, let, let's talk about some other, uh, great times, uh, during our time and your time at the university of South Carolina. Now we're very clear. This has been a, up until this point, a basketball podcast, but we know and love Andrew Kiddick and we're going to talk baseball today. And I'm excited to talk about baseball, obviously with my dad and his background with the university of South Carolina. So take us into your greatest games as the, as the sports Infor information director for Carolina. Well, I, I think it obviously starts 2010, 2011, uh, winning two national titles, um, being part of that experience. And how do you, you know, getting to the pinnacle of college baseball, which is Omaha, Nebraska. And, uh, you know, you just have an opportunity to be around an incredible group of student athletes, uh, incredible head coach and Ray Tanner, great staff of coaches, support staff, um, and just people. And, uh, you know, but, you know, just to kind of flip it back a little bit, you know, I get there and, 2001 my first year is the 2002 season um you know we go 57 and 18 and we do play for the national title we don't win we lose to texas in a one game shootout is coach Tanner houston Lager. street houston street was the reliever on that team yep. and uh you know that was my first year and that was that was again getting your feet wet <laughs> being an intern and you're going to omaha and your team's playing for a national title um 
those are great experiences. And those are great memories. I, I think back to my first year that Sarge Fry Field to get to Omaha. We're playing Miami, you know, University of Miami, the Hurricanes. I think you guys know exactly where I'm going. And I, wa- I wasn't there. It was a wild pitch, wasn't there? There was, there was a wild pitch, a pass ball. We're down four to one in the ninth. And we're, looks like Miami, we're not going to go. And the, the storyline was kind of like Coach Tanner was one game away. And two, you know, he hadn't been to Omaha ever. 2000, they were one game away. 2001, they were one game away. So, 02, they beat Miami first game, kind of knocked them around a little bit. We were the better team. We were a national seed. We had a really good team that year. Jerome Peters had 29 home runs. Blake Taylor was our award-winning closer. Landon Powell was on that team for, you know, Brian Busher, big leaguers. Um, Trey Dyson, a good, good friend. Um, and we were losing game three, four to one. And it was like, we, after we lost game two, it was in game three. And we're like, golly, we're, you know, and, you know, fans could, you know, it was like, you could sense it was at, but then this top of the ninth inning, we're the visitor team in this game because we lost a coin toss. Stuff starts happening. Base hit here, base hit here. And then before you know it, we're, we're starting things around. And then the closer from Miami kind of unploaded and we're, we tied up. And there was a pass. You're right. Last pass ball. There was a, a wild pitch. And before you know, we took a six to four lead score, five runs in the ninth. And then we held on. And, you know, I just, I can remember that day as long as I lived. It was the old Sarge fire. And uh, you talk about great games, Rose. That was one because it just, it, South Carolina hadn't been to Omaha since 1985. So that was 2002. And again, this was Coach Tanner's first time. So that, that was a great game. I, I always remember that game. Um, and so that, and that led to a great year and we, you know, we beat Clemson back to back times in Omaha. That was fun. You know, I think anytime I get that opportunity against your rival and they were really good. They were really good team. That was probably one of Clemson's best teams that they ever had. Maybe their best team ever. Um, was they have green was Khalil green on those green green. And he, uh, he struggled against us in that last game we played on, but he made a couple of errors and we had Drew Meyer at shortstop who who played in the big leagues too. And Drew had a, Yeah, that, I mean, that, that team, we lose our first game to Georgia Tech. We don't even score a run. We lose like 10 nothing. I think it was. And uh, we had to play Nebraska in the second game. In and, Omaha. In Omaha on Father's <laughs> Day. It's all red. And it was a tight game. And we came back. We won in the ninth. Jerome uh, Peterson, a homer. Uh, his last home run that he hit with us um, that year. And we beat them. It was Dave Van Horn's last game before he went to Arkansas as the head coach. And he was still the head coach in Nebraska. And so we beat them and then kind of worked our way through Georgia Tech and then beat Clemson twice before we faced Houston Street in Texas. And we just, we ran out of pitching. Aaron Roll, he tried. He was a freshman. He had pitched three days prior. We were just, we were just out of, we got close. We got it into eight to six, but we couldn't get that. Uh, Street got a big strikeout to end it in eight, and then they scored four in the bottom of the eighth and it was 12 to six. It was over. But uh, at first year, there was a big game. So, um, so, so now, so O2, you make it. Don't you make it to the championship, lose. Oh, three, you go back to the World Series. Oh, four, you go back to the World Series. Mm-hmm. Three years yeah. in a row. Yep. Then I remember t- Ray Tanner in about 2008 or 2009 during a regional one time sitting out by the tree after a game. And he goes, you know, we went three years in a row and people just expect you to go every year. Wow. You know, he's like, it's not that easy. <laughs> it's not, oh. you know. So you get back in 2010, you have an unbelievable team. But there's a – was UCLA, were they the best team? Were they favored in that? Obviously, now you look back on it, they had the pitchers, Trevor Bauer and Garrett Cole, who have been Cy Young Award winners in the pros. And um, that was a really good UCLA team who you wind up facing in the finals. Talk about that game, that, that championship game against them. Definitely. And it, I, I'll go back briefly on it, Blas. 
they actually weren't the favorite going into Omaha to the eight teams. The favorite was Arizona State. Arizona State okay. had team. They were the number one team. And they were they were the team that everyone was just kind of like, and they were in our bracket. And we beat them after we lost to Oklahoma to start. We had to beat Arizona State, Oklahoma, and then beat Clemson again twice. Uh, but Arizona State was kind of the team everybody's talking about. Now on that side of the bracket, everybody knew about UCLA because of those two pitchers. And, uh, and that was a good bracket too. They had UCLA, Florida State, TCU, and uh, oh, who was the fourth? Oh man, that's kind of driving me nuts. Was it Fullerton? Fullerton did not go because UCLA beat them. Okay. There. Who was that fourth team? Oh man, that's going to drive me nuts. Uh, <laughs> was, they were the te- the one team that didn't do well. It was a team that went two and Q. Oh, shoot, I'm just going to drive me nuts. But anyway, um, but you said, I think going in our series, I think everybody, you know, saw, okay. They got Cole. Now, the big thing that happened was going into that series, both us and UCLA had to play that final game. UCLA had to play TCU to get to play us. And TCU had beat them once. So it was, they had to go down. So Bauer, Trevor Bauer had to pitch to get them to the championship series against us. So they get, they get the win. Bauer gets the win and we beat Clemson. So we facing them. So they got to start with Cole on Monday and we go with uh, Blake Cooper and Blake Cooper simply out pitch Garrett Cole. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about seven one game. will not even close. Um, you know, they made some mistakes early. They made an early air. We got some early runs against them and, and, you know, Cole, I mean, obviously the stuff's the stuff. I mean, you know, he's throwing mid nineties, but our guys were touching him a little bit and, you know, they were getting a little nervous out there. And, uh, you know, they had Mike Gallegos kick. Nico Gallego was playing on that team. They had a good team, mm-hmm. really good team. Um, but, you know, Blake pitched his heart out. Blake was Blake was 13-2 and two that year. And, guys, this is before the bats changed. This is the last year before the bats changed. And his 13-2, and two, ERA under three. I always say that, 13-2, ERA under three. Uh, if he had a better SID, he would have been SEC Pitcher of the Year, but I couldn't get him that. True. No, it's true. That's absolutely. <laughs> One guy named Drew Pomerantz got it. So, um, but we beat Drew Pomerantz. Yeah, he actually won the game that he and Pomerantz faced off against. So anyway, I, I, but, but Blake outpitched him. So we win game one and then we're going to game two. You know, this is Michael Roth. You know, he had just pitched against Clemson and Roth was, everybody kind of knew, oh, this guy's got something here. He, kind of took Clemson. Where's he going to go against uh, UCLA? So he kept this in it, you know, it was, and then they made an error. Their first baseman made an error. We were down one, nothing. We tied it. And uh, a guy ended up breaking his, uh, he went inside afterwards and broke his uh, hand because he made an error and it tied the game, which led us in the extra innings. And then we had the, the big hit from Whit Merrifield now with the Royals and uh, the rest is history. And it's still to this day is, the most amazing thing I ever saw. It was the last <laughs> game ever in Omaha at Rosenblatt Stadium. And we uh, we held on to get that first national title and it was amazing. And Bauer was actually they they had they'd had their they had a really good closer on there. And he had been pitching he was matching up against Matt Price, who was our all American closer. And they were kind of going at it. And we finally we got the we got the go ahead run. You know, Wingo was there on third and they were trying to get Bauer ready to face. And Witt, Witt actually talks about this story to this day that Witt thought they were going to walk him to get to, to Jackie. Um, Jackie was right behind him. And then walk, Christian Walker is behind Jackie. So <laughs> there you go. Again, you're just talking about you're just talking about pros. Witt Merrifield, yeah. Jackie Brown so, Jr., Christian Walker. Yeah. I mean, you're just talking about pros yeah. upon pros upon pros. And, and which no one 
I, you know, people always forget. No one was thinking that all these guys are going to be pros. I think Jack, Jackie was the one everybody kind of knew. Jackie was having a breakout year that year. He was a breakout as a freshman, but his sophomore year was his best year at South Carolina. And he was having a great year. So, you know, Witt, you know, that was Witt's final, you know, final bat that he got drafted and he went as a junior. But, you know, Witt was like, I, I remember Witt saying, like, I thought they were, you know, I thought you guys were walkers. I remember him and Bauer actually were talking on a podcast about it. And they pitched him one right there down and was like, I can get my barrel on it. He did. And right field, there it was. But yeah, it, it's funny to go, but when you go back and look back at that team and now like, oh, those guys are all in our lineup. It, it's kind of a fun story to see that, you know, Walker was a freshman, but you could see star was going to happen with him too. And I'm so happy. I'm so happy for those guys that they're doing what they're doing with what they love. And they're still playing the game to this day. It's, it's been fun to see. And just for good measure, it was Florida State, TCU, UCLA, and Florida. In the Florida, Olympics. that's right. Florida and Florida went zero two, and they they had beat us the final weekend in Columbia. We were playing them for the SEC championship. It, we were the top two teams. That's right. And Florida beat us the first two games, and they won the league by one game over us. Gosh, I, I forget that. It was Kevin O'Sullivan's first team that went to Omaha, and they were on that other bracket. That's right. I, I'm glad you reminded me of that. And then, so next year we face Florida, you know, it's right. we go back and we beat Florida for the title in 2011. Um, so yeah, you, you talk about back-to-back years of just being around guys that, you know, we go on that run, we win all these games and we're not losing it. I saw some amazing talent at that time too. Um, you know, I know I'm rambling here a little bit. I'm thinking about 2011, you were talking about some great players. We played UConn in the Super Regional. George they, Springer? Springer, Barnes is the pitcher. Yeah. Um, how, uh, the shortstop, Ahmad. Um, uh, Mazzilli's kid was on that team. I mean, they, they were freaking good. They were good. <laughs> and their coach was great. He said, I walked on the field. I'll never forget after we beat him the second time. He said, he came in. He's like, when I walked on the field, I always thought we had the best team. This is the first team that I could say held up against us. And, then, and he was so respectful, um, the UConn coach. And he was really just, he's like, you know, this is a tough place. To, but we were, that, that was such a good team. And it's like, I always believe we had the best team, but this team, that you can see why. And he was really respectful of South Carolina baseball, Coach Tanner. And, uh, yeah, they went on that run again. And it was, it was just unbelievable. So, I know Ray Tanner. We all know Ray Tanner, the greatest guy in the world. Tell our listeners, you've said it a couple of times, ah, he's just a great coach. What makes him so great? Now, you listed, obviously, a lot of major leaguers. The talent was there. I get it. But what makes him such an exceptional leader? Um, well, there's a lot of things. Um, first of all, I think it starts that he knows the game of baseball incredibly well. He, he knows baseball. Um, and, you know, he is someone who likes stats, obviously. I, I, he, he always loved, We always talked about stats. I always ran stat reports for him. But he also watched the game. He, he had a really good feel of knowing him versus the other guy in the dugout. He's like, Coach Tanner just knows baseball, and he, he knows how to put his players in position to be successful. That was always what I always respected him as a coach. He knew the strengths of his team. He would always know where he needed to work on things with the team. Um, I think he had an incredible practice plan, which he learned from Jim Valvano. Um, you know, he, he's around great leaders, too. He was around, you know, he was around Sam Esposito. He played for Sam Esposito as a legend. Um, and we worked under Jim Valvano, who was his first AD when he became the head coach. 
So he was around great leaders and he knew how to motivate players. He knew when to motivate players, how to treat players, um, how to put together a really good staff of people and trust in his pitching coach, whether it was Jerry Myers, whether it was Mark Calvi, you know, coach Toman or coach Holbrook, who were his associate head coaches and recruiting coordinators, Monty Lee, Stuart Lake, um, you know, being around Sam, Sammy Esposito, um, all these gentlemen who are just great coaches and understand the game just as well as he, and just how to put them in that right place. And uh, so I, I always just, he, he saw the game. He was always thinking ahead on the game. You know, they always talk about the managers always thinking ahead a little bit. And I, you know, you just sit and marvel at how he could just kind of pick a moment and just be like, know what to say to a player. You know, he used his visits really well when it, whether it came to talking to a pitcher or talking to a hitter, he used his visits. Still the only baseball coach I've ever seen today call time to talk to a hitter in the box. And, and so I'm doing it multiple times. And I was like, what? Like I was flabbergasted the first time I saw it. Never saw a coach do that on any level of baseball. And the funny thing is about that, uh, Blas, is that, you know, in college you were limited to three. In professional baseball, manager can talk to a hitter anytime he wants. He wants to do a visit. Um, but he was only limited to three, but he used them. I remember Rick Scappy from the Greenville News actually wanted, my first couple of years, wanted to do a story about him and his visits. And he's like, do you guys mark every time he has a visit? Because it seems like every time he does, he, some guy's going to make a hit. And, you know, you know, just some of the fundamentals that he would teach. I, I, you know, you sit there and watch him. You know, I remember, I remember one time, my first year, 2002, we're at Kentucky. We were playing Kentucky in baseball. And they had Joseph Blanton, who ended up playing for the uh, Oakland A's. He was drafted. Yeah. They're about 95, 96. I remember him, you know, Coach Tanner, another great thing. He, was, he threw BP because he's like, and he needed to see his players a little bit. I remember him throwing BP to Drew Meyer. And he was kind of like short in the swing, short in the swing. This guy's going to be throwing 95. You're going to need to get around this real quick. This guy's throwing fast. And I remember Drew hit a homer against Blanton. And I, I just, just, just some of those memories, like him, no, and he just he's like, he's he throwing inside, not that one, and, you know, just you know, some of those things, you know. I think, and he knew when, you know, how to how to be a coach, you know, how to be, you know, accountability. You know, I I, I used to, I remember him one time talking about accountability, or responsibility, and being at his best. And, you know, he knew how to talk to a student athlete, and I think student athletes listened to him because they respected him. Um, I think that's. These student athletes, it's a very important thing that they have to respect their head coach when they're saying something to them. And they're going to they're gonna test them. You have to understand test. Um, and, you know, I think that's in anything in life. You have to understand someone someone's trying to push you for a reason. And I think players gravitated him and understood it. And part of it is because of the success he had as a coach. Um, but he, he made you feel like, okay, if I listen to him, I'm going to get this. And so I, I oftentimes really just had respect with how he could listen to a player and he, he was, he could, he could listen to anybody. That was a great thing. I was like, even when he's talking to me or talking to somebody else, maybe on the sports staff, he understood your role and understood how to get you to your level of excellence that you needed to. And, you know, he can make you picture it a little bit. He was really good about visual, visual, you know, visualing, um, you know, vis learning through a visual way. Um, you know, and I, I always respected him of that. And that he, he had time for you too. I, I think, that's what made him so great is that he listens, he has time for you, he respects you, um, he'll push you, but not in, in a good way. And he'll, you know, he'll make you be great. And so, and he understood everybody's role 
You understood yeah. it. But yeah, that's why he's that's why he's an athletic strike now, guys. I mean, yeah, he stands every part of the athletic department. Well, Brian, you, you mentioned when you asked the question before, you said obviously the talent was there, but some of that is him cultivating the talent. And and Andrew went through the assistant coaches who most of them have went on to be pretty successful head coaches, Jerry Myers, Stuart Lake, Monty Lee, Jim Toman. I mean, you're talking about guys that have went on to have success as head coaches, so he could obviously cultivate that amongst his coaching staff as well as amongst his players, which says a lot about the type of leader he is, I think. Yeah, I, I you know, he. Uh, I'll give you another thing. Um, Brian Blas, um, I'll give you another thing, just kind of giving you an idea. You know, I, I remember him going through uh, at bats one time. He'd be like, hey, you get your stat laptop. Why don't you come over here? I'm, we're going to do a little analysis. And he wanted to go over a couple things with some players sometimes. There was one player in particular. He wanted to, like, study the counts. So we went through every count. And I think he's just like, ah, I'm going to pick. He put. I remember he, we went on his board. He had his whiteboard in his office, and he was just going through them. His point was he's like, this player was taking too many pitches. And uh, he's like, I want you to be more aggressive at the plate. This is your count. This is what you this is what you hit. And he had to show it to him. He's like, this is we've gone through every one of your at bats. And so he's trying to make a point like you got to be more aggressive. You're getting down too many strikes. So, you know, you just don't take too many pitches, as you'd say. So I, I always it just there was different things like that, learning that. And then he'd be like, where is he hitting? Where is he making all his outs? You know, he would go through, he's making his out, oh, he's pulling, he's trying to pull the ball all the time. Use the whole field, use the whole field, you know. Um, so uh, can you explain this? And he, he'd show him the board and, you know, the player is having to learn it, but he's trying to teach the player. What are you thinking about here? You know, what, what do you see? You know, and so it's him asking the question. He's not telling you, he's asking, what do you see? So I think it's a lot of times it's ask the question and then you're going to work to the result and then you start you know, obviously, it, again, talents talent. You have to have the talent first. That's the first. Coach, coach Tanner would also used to say, "Players win games. Coaches are the ones that lose them." And, you know, it's it's you know, you have to put the players in the back. Again, I, I think I said it a couple times. Position. You know, it was always position yourself to be successful. Heightened awareness was another one of his key things. So um, that was just some of those fun stories. But I see that and taking that to a level. So um, it was fun to see too. Yeah, he just uh, he, he exudes, like you say, he just just he's got time for you. He just exudes presence, really. And, and, yeah. And so he's just presence. I'm sorry, Brian. Presence and passion. And again, he knows the game. He watches baseball. That's what he does. So he knows it. So anyway, sorry I interrupted. No, you're good, man. That's 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 uh, that makes for a great podcast guest. We just we just tee it up and. Uh, <laughs> You take it, which will, you know what? That's called a segue, Chris DeBlasio. <laughs> we want to hear about what you're doing now, Andrew Kiddick. Tell us what you're doing now with the Evans Scholars Foundation. Yes. Well, um, first, you know, thanks for asking me about it. So, yeah, when I got out of college athletics, I decided I wanted to get closer to Chicago. You know, I moved back to summer 2017, and, um, you know, I guess it was November of 2017. I saw a position open for the Evans Scholars Foundation on the development team, um, being their communications um, manager. And uh, we have a communications team at uh, Evans Scholars Foundation and Western Golf Association, which is our organization. Um, but the development team specifically needed someone to handle some communication materials that their office needs. So, you know, I, I, I got the, I got, I actually fun. This is where relationships matter. Uh, there was a gentleman um, named Ryan Jones who had actually worked the scoreboard at South Carolina when he was a student. I was there working 
as an SID. And so Ryan was uh, now a development officer and he knew me and he remembered working when he worked for Sean Burke at the athletics department, uh, who was the event manager, uh, uh, so assistant athletics director for event management. So, um, so he remembered who I was. And so it just, when he got my resume, we actually had lunch together and he's like, uh, you know, he kind of told me a little bit about the position and working on a development team. So something different. So this wasn't media relations. This is more uh, helping to raise money. So um, the Evans Scholars Foundation was started by a gentleman by the name of Chick Evans about 90 years ago. And he was a very famous amateur golfer. He played against the Bobby Joneses of the world, Francis Wimetz, um, really when golf was in its heyday. Um, but he never got to finish college. And uh, uh that always he took his winnings that he had um, and he was like, I want to start a scholarship for caddies particularly. And he basically said kids can't afford to go to college, but they need that to, to be successful. College is very important. Education is important. Some kids can't afford to go to school. So they basically started and, you know, fast forward 90, 90 years later, we've had over 11,300 alumni, you know, caddies, junior caddies, youth caddies, who have graduated with, after obtaining a full tuition and college housing scholarship it's, uh, to go to college and have gone on to careers. So um, we're, the Evans Scholars Foundation is under what's the West, it works with the West, Western Golf Association, we're two organizations. And the WGA is what runs the golf tournaments end. So the BMW Championship, which you may have seen a few weeks ago, that's our tournament and that raises money for the Evans scholarship. Um, so, um, uh, so yeah, we've been around for a long time. It was known as the Western open for a while before BMW became the sponsor. Um, and so we've, uh, we've come a long way and we've, uh, got right now a thousand, we're on our way to 1,070 kids this year that are on full tuition and housing college scholarships at 21 universities. So, um, it's kind of where we're at right now, just to kind of give you a little bit of a background. So Chick Evans, I think I'm looking at it here, four times was the low amateur at the U.S. Open. Again, you're right, had a great amateur career, won, won the Western Amateur and the Western Open a bunch of times. But I'm going to read off the list of schools here, Andrew, just, just from doing a quick search. Uh, University of Colorado, University of Illinois, Northwestern, Marquette, University of Wisconsin, Purdue, Ohio State, Northern Illinois, Missouri, Indiana, University of Michigan, Michigan State, Miami University, University of Minnesota, and University of Oregon are where you have actual houses for Evan Scholars. That's what it says here. Yeah, and we've 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 um, we've just added Maryland is one of our new schools. Um, As I saw, I was I texted you. There was a story about a young lady um, during the tournament. Um, who was it? Jimmy Roberts did the story on what was that young lady's name? The uh, Indian American yeah. descent. Hawken, yeah. Mm -hmm. Who's going to be going to the University of Maryland? Yeah. So yeah, we've added. We recently added uh, Notre Dame. We've added Maryland University of Chicago. Like, Notre Dame. We've added that. That was that's been a few years. So I, I should have said that. It was more Maryland's new University of Chicago. We added last year. University of Illinois at Chicago is another school we added. So we're we're at twenty one right now, um, and you know mo mainly Midwest. But we've really put our sights set uh, on the east a little bit and trying to grow our program a little bit more because there's a lot of great um, opportunities uh, working with some partners in the east. And along with the west, we've got University of Washington, Oregon, and Colorado are three of our schools. But yeah, we, we've got Penn State, Penn State, and Maryland. We just bought, put in a new house in with Penn State where we partner with 
the Platt Foundation, which is a, a big group in, in um, Pennsylvania. And so we have the, what's called the Platt Evans Scholarship House. So um, nice. We're, we're really, you know, we, we, our goal, we, we've released our long-term plan last year is that we were trying to get to 1,500 Evans Scholars by 2030. So 1,500 Evans Scholars in school. Um, and, you know, these are, these are great kids, caddies that are youth caddies when they're in high school and they earn the opportunity at the Evans Scholarship. And then at most of the schools, they go to live in a house. Um, the community living is a very important part of the scholarship. Um, and, uh, but there's a few schools like Notre Dame, University of Chicago. They, they don't have houses, but you have residences there. And Maryland, mm-hmm. building, Maryland we're in the process of building right now. Um, and UIC is just one we just added to. So, but uh, that's kind of like our story is trying to help young people who have financial need and try to provide them with the opportunity of a college degree and hopefully changing their lives and changing their families' lives. Rosefield, a couple, couple trivia questions. I'm going to give you one trivia stat. The University of Chicago actually has the very first Heisman Memorial Trophy winner. Guy by the name of Jay Burwanger. 1939, I believe. Yeah, Jay Burwanger. Yeah, old Jay Burwanger. And he mentioned, Andrew mentioned the University of Illinois, Chicago. What is their nickname? The Illinois, Chicago. UIC. It's not the Redbirds. That's, uh, that's Illinois State. That's Illinois State. Very good. Yeah. Uh, Jay Burwanger's. The, the Jay Burwanger. No, it's the Flames. Okay. Wonderful. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I, I love these, but do you feel good about yourself asking questions that you know I'm not going to know? Well, no, it's that- more just me flexing about how much useless crap I know. <laughs> it's, it's, that's what it really is. Well, here's a question for Andrew. And I'm trying to, to, trying to put him on the spot here. I applied for one of these scholarships. Can you check on my app? I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. <laughs> Andrew, how can our listeners get involved in helping out the Evans Scholars Foundation? Uh, well, if you know, if you know, obviously, um, we can go to our, our website, uh, WGAESF.org, uh, to learn more about our program a little bit. I, I think it's, it's a great way to get involved. Um, you know, I, I think one of the things that to ask your to ask your listeners to get more involved in is just take a caddy, take a caddy, whether it is a, but you know, in some places they're professional caddies, there's not youth caddies, but you know, if you have an opportunity to take a youth caddy, do it. Um, this is a great opportunity to be to have a mentor relationship or to talk to a young person and help them grow in their lives. That's, that's, you know, it, you know, uh, golf, we believe in golf as a walking game and we believe in having that relationship and having that opportunity. And, you know, there are so many amazing golf courses across the country, but, you know, obviously we, any support you can make towards our scholarship, we are very grateful for, well, but, you know, to be really involved in young people's lives, try to help a young person. And I think, you know, I've gotten to meet some amazing young men and women who their job is a caddy and that this is what they do in their summer to try help their families out. And it's mm-hmm. also at the same time trying to put themselves in a position to maybe even apply for the Evans Scholarship. You know, um, they, they, they come from incredible backgrounds. They have some very humbling stories and they're, you know, you as an adult have an opportunity to really provide them with some guidance and have a fun four hour round and and really get to know a young person. And, you know, I I think, you know, I talked to some of, you know, I talked to these kids that, you know, they get to have some amazing experiences getting to learn from adults and that, you know, they learn a lot about work ethic and, you know, 
you know, patience and resilience and, you know, it, and just, you know, it's a great way to meet people. Um, and, uh, it's the fun way to play golf and you really get to have a fun little thing. So I, you know, yeah, support for our scholarship. We always appreciate. And, but at the same time, you know, you know, if you can walk, walk, you know, it, it's a fun game that way. And, uh, you can really kind of enjoy it a little bit. I agree, Andrew. I walked today from my golf cart to the 18 different tee boxes today. <laughs> Unbelievable. I got out of the golf cart and walked to the tee box 18 times today. We need to get you a four caddy then. <laughs> I go to a place that's really doesn't have that kind of money that we're having caddies and four I caddies. But I understand. But you know, another another way is, you know, I, I you know, is is you know, promotion of the scholarship, you know, promotion mm. of caddies, you know, at schools, you know, I, I think we're always trying to find ways to, to help show young people this is a job opportunity to have as a young person. It's a great way to meet people and really hone your skills as a young person. Um, you know, you know, to be a caddy, you, you get the chance to, to earn cash and, you know, learn from some people that really, it, it, it's, it's just any way that we can do anything, anything we do to help you find a youth caddy program to go. Yeah. So, uh, we, we're, we're trying to grow it as much as we can. And that's the fun part of it about it right now is that, people seem interested in wanting to help in that regard. My first job was as a caddy, actually, when I was 13 at Knickerbocker Country Club here in Englewood, New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. We have a scholar from Knickerbocker. I was a looper. You're a looper. (laughs) Well, Andrew Kiddick, we want to thank you uh, so much for coming on and being a guest with us today. We've known you a a long, long time. Too long we've known you, I think, (laughs) when you think about it. More than half my life, I think I've known you now at this point. If you do um, the math, it's, it's, it's so great. To, you know, 20 years ago, it, it was 20 years ago that I moved yeah. to South Carolina. So it was, those there for, yeah, we were there, we were both there for a while. Um, but, uh, no, I enjoyed having a chance to try chance to talk to you guys and, uh, share some stories and, uh, and again, uh, appreciate you guys also uh, asking me about uh, the Evans Scholars Foundation and our work with the Evans Scholarship. Uh, yeah, and when, when we put the episode out, we will, in the social media and everything, we'll tag, we'll put the website in, in ways for people to get in touch or, or you know, d- donate and help out with the Evans Scholar. So for my co-host, Brian Rosefield, I am Chris DeBlasio. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Greatest Games. <laughs>